0: This is the Trails Church podcast. At the Trails Church, our mission is to glorify God by making disciples through the gospel, in community, and on mission. If you'd like more information about our church, visit our website, thetrails.org. Now here's today's podcast. Open your Bible with me to Exodus chapter 27. One of the things that regularly find their way into our home are puzzles. And when I say they find their way into our home, I mean Jamie brings them in. She loves a good puzzle. Around any holiday, there is likely one spread out on our kitchen table that is slowly being worked on. Now, the kind of puzzle I have in mind is not the sort you do with a toddler in two or three minutes. These have 500 or 1,000 or... 500,000 pieces. <laughs> They're all the same color. The shapes all look identical. It'll drive you mad trying to make out sense of what goes where. However, there's this one magical moment in the building process where the pieces of the puzzle begin to fit together so that you're able to make out the big picture. And then things get very exciting, the energy rises, the pace quickens. All of a sudden, people who who have had nothing to do with the puzzle-making process end up around the table just offering to put one piece where it goes so that they can say that they contributed. That's me. (laughs) Puzzles require every piece in order to create The image. And once the piece is done, you step back and admire the beauty. Our journey through the tabernacle has been a bit like putting together a puzzle. Yet instead of finding the border pictures and fitting them together first, we began with the most important object in the tabernacle, one of the things at the very center, the golden ark of the covenant, where God's presence. Would in fact dwell among his people. The next piece was the table of bread of presence, with its brown loaves uh, sitting on top of that table. And then we worked our way on to the blazing fire of the golden lampstand, which announced to Israel, God is home. From there, we put together the tabernacle itself with its two divisions. There was. The holy place where the priests would come in and minister to the Lord, and then the most holy place where the high priest went in one day a year to make atonement for the sins of the people. Slowly and surely, chapter by chapter, we began to see the big picture. Today we put the final pieces together as we look at the tabernacle. The energy is rising The pace will quicken and we'll finally be able to see how all these pieces create this central place within the spiritual life of Israel and how they ultimately point to our Savior. If we think about the Christian life, uh, there are many different pieces that fit together like a puzzle, all making one beautiful picture. There's the border of the Christian life, which is Scripture itself. There are the pieces of prayer and the pursuit of holiness. There are the shapes of living in relationship with the living God. Time with other Christians as we learn to love one another and participate in the body of Christ. But perhaps you feel like some of the pieces are missing from your life even right now. Or maybe the pieces of the puzzle don't seem to fit together like you think they should Or you're waiting just on one piece that if you could find it, you think all the other pieces would fall into place and you would see the big picture. Yet for each of us who have trusted in Christ, we know that he is, in his grace and in his time, putting each piece in its rightful place. To use the words of Paul, that he who began a good work in you is faithful to complete it. And and brothers and sisters, he is making a beautiful picture of your life even when you can't see. The centerpiece of all of this, of course, is Christ himself. Is Christ the centerpiece of your life? As we put together the pieces of Exodus 27 and 30, the whole picture of the tabernacle comes into view. We also finally see the border of this courtyard, which contained the entire tabernacle area. It was in this court that a bronze altar and a bronze basin sat. These elements, the water and the blood, held practical and theological realities for Israel as God sought to dwell among his people and also to meet with his people by his grace. We'll look at the passage under two headings. First, the altar and the basin. And second, and I'll just show where we're headed here. The cross and the cleansing. Uh, since we're covering quite a bit of ground today, we won't read every verse of both of these remarkable chapters. Instead, let me encourage you to stand once more as we read a portion of Exodus 27, verses one to eight, and then chapter 30, verses 17 through 21. Exodus chapter seven, or, sorry, 27, verses one to eight. This is God's holy and inerrant word, though written long ago, brings life to us today. You shall make the altar of acacia wood five cubits long, five cubits broad. The altar shall be square, and its height shall be three cubits. And you shall make horns for it on its four corners. Its horns shall be of one piece with it, and you shall overlay it with bronze." You shall make pots for it to receive its ashes, and shovels, and basins, and forks, and firepans. You shall make all its utensils of bronze. You shall also make for it a grating, a network of bronze. And on the net, you shall make four bronze rings as its four corners. And you shall set it under the ledge of the altar so that the net extends halfway down the altar. And you shall make poles for the altar, poles of acacia wood, and overlay them with bronze. And the poles shall be put through the rings, so that the poles are on the two sides of the altar when it is carried. You shall make it hollow with boards. As it has been shown you on the mountain, so it shall be made. And Exodus 30, 17 to 21, the Lord said to Moses, you shall also make a basin of bronze with its stand of bronze for washing. You shall put it between the tent of meeting and the altar, and you shall put water in it with which Aaron and his sons shall wash their hands and their feet. When they go into the tent of meeting, or when they come near the altar to minister, to burn a food offering to the Lord, they shall wash with water so that they may not die. They shall wash with their hands and their feet so that they may not die. It shall be a statute forever to them, even to him and to his offspring throughout their generations. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands Forever. Amen. First, let's explore the altar and the basin. Our tour of the tabernacle began zoomed in behind layers of thick curtains in a place that only one person was allowed to go. It concludes as we zoom out and take in the tabernacle courts where all of God's people are welcome. Come and worship. Before we get to the bronze altar that we just read of, and also the basin, I want us to first think about the entire structure of this portable church described in Exodus 27, 9-19. to I won't read through this portion of it, but I do want to describe it. To help us get a sense of what the whole tabernacle looked like, you'll notice on the back page of your bulletin, where normally is a place to make notes, is an incredible image of this, taken from the ESV Study Bible without copyright permission. (laughs) Please don't tell. So the perimeter of this courtyard was hemmed in by a curtain of fine twined linen. It was seven and a half feet high. This fence-like curtain was held up by posts every seven and a half feet on bases of bronze, Silver rings held together these curtains to make it all fit. The dimensions of the courtyard stretched 75 by 150 feet, and so the whole fenced-in area was about a quarter of the size of a football field. On the east side of the courtyard was a 30-foot-wide entrance. That's a big entrance with a beautiful curtain embroidered with blue and purple and scarlet yarn. And within the safety of this fenced-in area, this sacred space, was the tabernacle itself. Uh, It's to this court that Israelites would bring their offerings to the Lord. They would bring sacrifices. And let's not forget how the Israelites felt about this place. Even how the psalmist talks about the very court itself. We read in the call to worship from Psalm 84 too, my soul longs, even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. Wasn't it wonderful to sing better as one day this morning? Oh, It was good. It's basically just Psalm 84 put to a melody. Standing in the court of the Lord were two important pieces of furniture, the bronze altar and the bronze basin, of which we both read. First, I want to consider the significance of this bronze altar. The altar was the largest piece of furniture in the tabernacle. It was a huge, square-shaped grill, measuring seven feet by seven feet, It was four feet high. Archaeologists have uh, uncovered, unearthed uh, an exact replica or an expression of this from the very time that we're reading of. Uh, The sides of the altar created a frame of wood. All of that wood was covered with bronze in order to sustain it while they were cooking animals around it, while open flame was there. Uh, You'll notice there's horns mentioned on all four corners. We're not sure from the text What the purpose of these horns are. Old Testament language will sometimes use the horn as a symbol of strength. Uh, We do learn later in uh, chapter 29 verse 12 that blood was smeared on them uh, during the day of atonement. There's a story in 1 Kings 1 where an accused criminal is entitled to lay hold of the horn and claim asylum uh, from being judged. There are also five different utensils listed we won't have time to go into these, but notice these you know, sacred kitchen utensils. Pots, shovels, bowls, forks, fire pans, all included to help with the process of sacrifice. What kind of sacrifice? I'm glad you asked. Bulls, goats, lamb, doves, grain, bread. All of the sacrifices we read of in the Old Testament, this is where they were, this is where they were made. The middle of this altar—it's interesting—the language of it, right? It was empty. So imagine it's big, square, and in the middle is nothing except halfway down was this grate that would hold up the animal being cooked. Basically, I think you're already with me. This is like a modern-day, incredibly large Traeger. (laughs) This is God's grill. I don't think that's irreverent. This is literally the grill of God. Can I get an amen? amen? I hope some of you will go and grill to the glory of God this afternoon. God's grill. Under the grate, under the grate that held the animal was an altar made of stone and earth like they had been commanded in chapter 20, verse 24, or 25. So when the Lord would lead Israel to a new place of camp, and remember this is a portable church. They're moving all over the place where God would lead them. So they would build an altar underneath, set the bronze altar on top, and continue to make sacrifice. Leviticus chapters 1-7 uh, to seven outline different kind of offerings made. There are burnt offerings, sin offerings, grain offerings, and peace offerings. There are daily sacrifices made continually in the courts of the Lord. A sacrifice is being made. Why? Because people were continually committing sin. And it was through sacrifice their sins would be atoned for. Instead of them paying for the sin they'd committed, an animal was shed in their place. An animal's blood was shed in their place. A.W. Pink comments, There it stood, ever smoking, ever bloodstained, Ever open to any guilty Hebrew that might wish to approach it. The sinner, having forfeited his life by sin, another life, an innocent life, must be given in its stead. This is the purpose of this bronze altar to make sacrifice, to make atonement, to shed blood for the forgiveness of sins. The second piece of furniture found in the court was the bronze basin we read of in chapter 30, verses 17 to 21. This basin of water is where Aaron and his sons were to wash their hands and their feet whenever they would go into the tabernacle, whenever they would go to make sacrifices on the altar. They're to wash up beforehand. We're not told the significance of this ritual, but surely at the heart of it is the idea of cleansing of being made clean before you enter the presence of God. The washing certainly had a practical purpose in providing clean hands, clean feet, but also spoke to the theological principle that we've seen throughout our study of the tabernacle. God is holy. And in order to approach Him, His people must be holy. Those who draw near to God must be washed clean. So there's the overview of this court. The bronze altar for sacrifice, the bronze basin for cleansing. Now, I'd like you to now uh, imagine with me. Imagine with me you're living in the time of the tabernacle. We've described it, about a quarter of a size of a football field. One way in, one way out, through the east gate. The moment you would walk into the east gate... It wasn't just you and Jesus. It was the people of God busy at work making sacrifice for their sins. Think about what you would see, what you would smell, what you would experience. People there because they had sinned and they've come to make burnt offerings to ask God to forgive them for their sins. People there offering peace offerings because they want to show God out of gratitude for all that He's done with for them. An offering of thanksgiving and gratitude. All that's happening. The smell of cooked meat in the air. The sight of blood that was shed. The people all around. All coming with the same need for the presence of God. And then if you lifted your gaze beyond all the people and all the activity happening, you would behold the tabernacle. Radiant in splendor, gold, silver, a beautiful tapestry announcing God is here. But between you and the presence of God, two objects. Between you and God are the altar where blood sacrifice must be made, and a basin there where sprinkling, washing must occur. These are very significant. I think the positioning of this is all very significant. For that person to approach a holy God, there must be blood sacrifice and there must be washing. This is the message of the altar and the basin. And now I want us to consider the cross and the cleansing. But before we look to Christ, I want us to look backward to the account in Exodus chapter 24. Do you remember when? Israel was first gathered at Mount Sinai before Moses was up meeting with God. Remember the Lord summoned them to Sinai. He was going to make with them an everlasting covenant and the people are told, don't come too close. Just wait at the foot of the mountain. Don't start the summit. Don't even let an animal start climbing this mountain or your animal will be put to death. So all of Israel is gathered at the foot and then halfway up, The elders of Israel are gathered. They're closer, but not too close. And yet one man, Moses the mediator, was told, come. Come into the very burning presence of God. There were three tiers of nearness to God. Three tiers. Well, as we then think about the tabernacle, remember we talked about this being a mobile, miniature Mount Sinai, everywhere they go. Meeting with the pre- in the presence of God. And here we find those same three tiers. The people are now allowed to come into the walls of the court to bring sacrifices and offerings. They can come closer, but not too close. And then we have the holy place where the priests were admitted to come. And here they would minister to the Lord by changing out the oil on the lambs and swapping the bread each Sabbath where Aaron would change out fragrant incense that would burn as worship unto God. And then one man, the high priest, was told one day a year to humbly and bravely walk into the burning presence of God and make atonement for the sins of all the people. And for a thousand years, From the tabernacle through the time of the temple, this is how God met with his people. This is how his presence dwelt among his people. That is, until the fullness of time when out of great love. God sent his one and only son to tabernacle among us. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 4 tells us the reason for this. Scripture says, it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. You see, you and I would need the blood of the spotless lamb, the blood of the lamb of God, to be shed once and for all so that you and I might have access into the burning presence of God once and for all. One of the things we've practiced each week in our study of Exodus is how to read the Old Testament in light of the New Testament. And as we imagined just a moment ago standing there in the courts of the Lord, I'm sure many of you, your thoughts already just rushed ahead to how these two things point to the completed work of Christ. But just in case you didn't, I want to be sure and spell it out and lift high the work of Jesus and how these things point to him. Just like there was one way... Into the courts of the Lord, there is one way into the presence of God. Jesus says in the Gospel of John, chapter 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The New Testament also shows how each man and woman and child is a sinner in need of a savior. In chapter 30, there's the content of the census tax that's there. Every man and woman must pay the same amount to come in uh, to the tabernacle and to pay for the workings of the tabernacle. There's no discrimination because every person is a sinner in need of atonement for sins. The New Testament says the same thing. Romans chapter three, verse 23 says, all have sinned, and fallen short of the glory of God. So standing between us and a holy God is our sin that separates us from his holiness. We're separated from him because of sin. And so God, out of great love, made a way for sinful people to enter his presence. Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God came not only to tabernacle among us but was then sacrificed once and for all for the sins of his people. 2 Corinthians chapter 5:21 explains for our sake for the sake of sinful people God made Christ he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become The righteousness of God, the righteousness that was um, seen in the sprinkling of the water, the washing. This is a totally different kind of righteousness that comes um, not by works, but through the righteousness of what Christ himself has done. And so he takes our filthy rags and then wraps us in a righteousness not our own, so that we stand before a holy God clean. That is remarkable. Clean. Us people whose hands are stained with sin, whose feet have fast run towards sin, now completely accepted because of all what Jesus has done. The great Puritan John Owen summarizes this idea when he wrote, The altar which we now have is Christ alone and his sacrifice. For he was both priest, altar, and sacrifice, all in himself. We've been looking at ancient sanctuary furniture for a number of weeks now, and uh, I pray each week that you've heard the good news of the gospel ringing through these silent pieces of furniture. But still, there may be some who think, well, what does an ancient altar and a basin of water have to do with me today? Well, I'm glad you asked. The writer of Hebrews says a lot. I want you to turn with me to the book of Hebrews. I'll be here for just a few moments as we start coming to a conclusion. If you'll turn to Hebrews chapter 10 verses 19 to 25. So on page 1974. <laughs> That's a joke. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> Listen to how the writer of Hebrews connects this to the Christian life, beginning in verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart In full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. And our bodies washed with pure water. If you're in Jesus, those things have happened to you. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promises faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. That's what the writer of Hebrews says is what's so significant from the tabernacle in our life as Christians today. I'd like to just scan that passage again and pull out three responses to this thought. Three uses to this thought. Three applications. One, what does this mean for you? One, you can draw near with confidence. Draw near with confidence. Guys, we've been given access to the very presence of the living God because of what Christ has accomplished for us. Not because we were worthy but because we were chosen. Not because we've accomplished some saving act, but because we've believed in the one who went before us and saved us from first to last. You can draw near with confidence. Well, you don't know how terrible of a sinner I am. No, but Christ does, and his blood is powerful and effective for the worst of your sins. I think many Christians, this is the missing puzzle piece in their relationship with God, you've allowed your sin to cause you to reel back from the love and forgiveness of Jesus. When He says, "Come," this is why He died to bring forgiveness for your sins. No, you don't have to reel back anymore. You can bring them. You can bring Him your sins, knowing that you stand forgiven, accepted, adopted because of nothing you've done, but because of what Christ has done. You can draw near with confidence. You think your sins may be too great. His mercy is greater. Second, hold fast. Hold fast. Each of these responses are marked by the words, let us. Let us draw near. Now let us hold fast. Hold fast to what? Hold fast like we're white knuckling it, trying to just keep a grip till Jesus returns? No, no. We hold fast because He's first gripped us with His great grace and He will not let us go. And now we hold fast to the very truths that saved us. We hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. Do we hold fast to our own faithfulness? No, you're holding fast to Him. Because he pro- who promised is faithful. We hold fast. And as we hold fast, we, we loosen the grip on the things of this world. We, we say now with faith, we're the whole realm of nature mine. That we're a present far too small. Why? Because we've been given everything now in Christ. What? Love, so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. As we're called here to hold fast to the one who holds us. And then finally, to stir one another up. Let us consider. That means think about this. Let us consider this together. How to stir up one another, but not just anything, to love. In John chapter 13, 35 says, it's by our love for one another that the world will know that we are his disciples. We love one another. But it's a love with an ambition. It's a love with an aim that we would work and walk in good works. Ephesians 2.10 says, what kind of works these are. These are the good works that were predestined for us to walk in even before the foundations of the earth were laid. And now we're just called to live these good works out, that God's already prepared them for us, but us to encourage one another, stir one another up and on to these good works. Not being passive, not looking backward, but to press on, following him who called us, and not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And this is why we're here. Just look around this room real quick. Simple exercise. A room full of sinners but who have known the glorious forgiveness of a Savior. And now, together, following Christ. We're not in this alone. We have one another. We have the body of Christ equipped. And when you use your gifts, when you stop thinking about coming to church for what you can get, and you start thinking about coming to church for what you can give, When you show up 10 minutes early so you might have a meaningful spiritual conversation with someone to help build them up in the faith. And before you leave, as people are trying to swipe the chair under you and put them in this closet, which we thank you for that. We're just saying, before I leave, I'm going to have a meaningful spiritual conversation. Who can I encourage? This room is full of people who need encouragement even in this moment. Stir one another up. This is how we grow as disciples, particularly if you're a member here, that's for you. This is a way of being, a way of living as the people of God, where we're not the center of this, Jesus is. And together we are seeking to draw near to him, to hold fast to him, realizing that the Christian life is just not about you know, us four no more to glory by and by, but no about building up the saints, advancing the kingdom. Let me address those of you who um, may be missing one piece in your life. Uh, Not everyone in this room has been born again by faith in Christ. It would be foolish to think so. And we want you to be honest about that. Not embarrassed, but just honest. And allow the light of Scripture to shine in the darkness. Maybe there's a missing piece of your life and you know it's Christ. You've searched for this missing piece and you've tried other things to make it fit. And nothing seems to fit. This is the way we're designed. And there is one piece. It is Christ himself that is the piece that connects all the pieces. And when he is in the center of your life, everything falls into shape, including how you approach God. And so from the invitation of Scripture, let me just say, if you've never trusted in Jesus, if you know that that piece of relationship with God is missing from your life, it doesn't matter who you are or what you've done. The grace and mercy of Jesus are plenty. Today, would you lay hold of Christ by faith? Turn from your sin. Turn to the arms of a wide, open Savior who will receive you and forgive you and bring you into the warmth of God's presence once and for all. The water and the blood held theological realities for Israel as God sought not only to dwell among his people, but also to meet with them by his grace. But yet, as we look to Jesus, we see that the altar and the basin ultimately point to the cross and the cleansing, the cleansing flow that is now yours and mine because of what Jesus has done and is readily available to all who come by faith alone, through grace alone, in Christ alone. Let's give thanks to the Lord. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for how these ancient objects point us to the glories of our Savior. I pray that your word would do its work in us, building us up in the faith, that we would draw near to you with full assurance, that we would stand firm and encourage one another as the day surely draws near. I ask all of this in Christ's name thanks for listening to this podcast from The Trails Church. We hope you have been encouraged, equipped, and edified by time spent together in God's Word. And again, if you'd like to find out more about The Trails Church, visit our website, thetrails.org.